When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let me start this week's podcast with a quote by the children's author, Dr. Zeus. When something bad happens, you have three choices. You can either let it define you, let it destroy you, or you can let it strengthen you. It's a good quote, and it's one that Jeff Bezos, the world's richest man, referred to in his letter to shareholders in April as the coronavirus pandemic took hold. Now, three months into this global crisis, it seems pretty clear which of Dr. Zeus's paths Amazon is going down. This is going to be a defining moment. The company's share price is nearly at an all-time high. Bezos has, in three short months, increased his personal fortune by 25 billion. Because as the world shut down, Amazon ramped up. It hired 175,000 extra workers to cope with skyrocketing demand. In the first three months of 2020, it collected 33 million in sales every single hour of the day. So welcome to the Slow News Podcast, where we look at what's driving the news, not breaking news. I'm Basha Cummings, and this week, we're investigating a superpower. In January at Tortoise, the newsroom where I work and where we produce this podcast, we launched a year-long investigation called Tech Nations. Here's my boss, James Harding, explaining what it's all about. There's also something I suppose that's a reflection on the way in which journalism works. You know, it's perfectly natural for us to think we want to know where Donald Trump sits. Where does Jared sit vis-a-vis Ivanka? What time does Mike Pompeo wake up in the morning? But when you think about these tech giants that have powers that are more pervasive... Uh, more direct in many ways on our lives, we don't have that kind of understanding of how they operate, and they certainly don't have that same level of accountability. So part of this is about saying, 
Is there a way that we can stand back? Is there a way that we can step in to understand this story? Because as things stand, I feel like there's a load of reporting colour, but it's as if you're standing very, very close to an enormous mural. So welcome to the United States of Amazon, a sprawling tech nation that is getting more and more powerful every year. Well, the amazing Amazon really just continues to amaze and hitting all-time highs almost every single day. And that is at the heart of the problem too. In this podcast, we speak to Tim Bray, who until very recently was one of around only 20 distinguished engineers, as they call them, at the company. Uh, grants all the different teams here and there across the company, you know, a huge amount of autonomy to, to you know, once the goals are agreed on, to find their own way to, to meet as many as possible. Um, and, he left and in May amid a storm cloud, and he's given us a rare interview which gives us invaluable insight inside Amazon, inside its leadership, and how it responded to the coronavirus crisis. Amazon is a symptom of the problem. The problem is an overly high concentration of wealth and power in a certain number of super important business sectors, technology just being one of them. Um, and, and I think that that is uh, dysfunctional. It's bad for society. It makes free markets work less well. It uh, makes companies less able to treat their customers and employees as humans simply because they're too big. And at scale, you can no longer do that. But first, a message from our newsroom. Slow News is a podcast made by us here at Tortoise. We're a news publisher in an app, online, in our daily SenseMaker email, and, as you already know, in podcasts. What's different about us is that we investigate what's driving the news. And we'd love for you to join us. By becoming a member of our newsroom, you'll get access to our journalism and you can join our open news meetings and help decide what matters in the world and how we should report it. To get access to all of Tortoise, all you have to do is download our app and take the free trial. Go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash pod trial and help make the news. My colleague Alexi Mostras has spent a lot of time investigating Amazon since coronavirus hit, and he joined me to talk through what he'd found out. Let's let's start at the beginning. Tell me about the birth of Amazon. Jeff Bezos was a hedge fund manager in New York in the early 90s, and he had an idea that the internet was going to take off, and he looked around to see what categories he could specialise in, um, and he came across books. And the reason he chose books was because there were over, at that time, three million different books worldwide active at any time, way more than music or any other uh, category. And he figured that no physical bookstore could ever stock anything like the amount of books that an online bookstore could stock. So uh, he went with that. All right, now one good example of using an electronic mall effectively is something called Amazon.com. This virtual shop claims to be the world's largest bookstore. What makes us different is vast selection, convenience, we deliver right to the desktop, and also the fact that we're the broadest discounters in the world. We discount over 300,000 titles, basically the best-selling titles, and those are, uh, you know, that's twice as many titles as the largest physical bookstore even offers. If our catalog were printed on paper, it would be the size of seven New York City phone books. Oh, the other funny thing about Amazon's founding, which we picked up in the course of the investigation, was that uh, he was originally going to call it uh, Cadabra, 
dot com as in abracadabra but a lawyer uh, misheard him during one early meeting and thought he said and thought he said cadaver uh, so uh, he he cancelled that and chose amazon instead and the other name if i'm right in thinking it was relentless.com yeah relentless.com still exists uh, and if you go to relentless.com and then it redirects you to to amazon and it actually you know what if you were going to choose one adjective to describe both bezos and amazon then relentless wouldn't be a bad place to start yeah well he so he went with amazon after the amazon river the biggest <laughs> longest <laughs> river in the world yeah mm. so from those early days it's gone on to become one of the biggest companies in the world close to the biggest retailer how does Jeff Bezos run Amazon? Well, he runs it like a startup. So despite it being worth $1.2 trillion or, the, or thereabouts, all the executives are kind of primed to uh, treat their business as, as if they were running a small company that was starved of cash. So, you know, you don't get business class flights. You don't get colour printing at Amazon. The headquarters don't even provide uh, carpets on, on the floors. Uh, frugality and innovation and this sense that it needs to be fast moving and adaptable is kind of at the core of how Amazon operates. And that's that's pretty phenomenal given the size it's grown to. Uh, there's lots more to say about about that, but but at the, at the essence of what Bezos does is this sense uh, that Amazon is at, as he puts it, day one, which is as if this is the first days of the internet. What does day two look like? <laughs> what does day two look like? Um, if it sits back and says, right, we're the biggest, we're the best, then it goes from day one to day two. And as Bezos said to his shareholders, day two is stasis followed by irrelevance, followed by excruciating, painful decline, followed by death. <laughs> and that is why it is always day one. Thank you, you guys. Blimey. Okay, so that aggressive, energetic drive to growth, that's central to his vision for how Amazon operates. Yes, that's right. And, and he really tries to inculcate that into all his uh, executives through these 14 leadership principles. Now, uh, lots of other companies, including Apple, which we looked at in our, in our first Tech Nation, have these values that employees are sort of aware of when they join. But the leadership principles at Amazon are, are a completely different story. Everyone knows them. I mean, like Talmudic texts. They are recited as if they were Bible verses by anyone that's worked at Amazon at, at a particular uh, level. And in fact, the interviews that Amazon does uh, to take on executives, they screen for the leadership principles. So anyone that, that works at Amazon has already been effectively pre-selected to match the principles that Bezos wants the company to run by. And what, what are some of those principles? The first principle amongst equals is 
uh, obsess about the customer. Everything we've done and all the success we have is at its root primarily due to the fact that we have put customers first. Putting the customer at the center of our universe. And it is customer obsession. Is that you need to obsess over customers. It's obsessive attention to the customer experience. So that's, that's rule number one. Everyone at Amazon starts off by thinking how they can make a customer's life better, more enjoyable, less friction, and, and then they work backwards from that point to decide how they're going to do that. So they start with the customer and work backwards. That's rule number one. Then you've got rules like, uh, you know, be frugal, be innovative, be prepared to be misunderstood because we do things slightly differently uh, from other people. If you're going to do anything new or innovative, you have to be willing to be misunderstood. And if you can't tolerate that, then for God's sake, don't do anything new or innovative. Um, every important thing we've done has been misunderstood. Uh, if you're a leader, then you've got to have a strong voice. You've got to be prepared to disagree. But once a decision is made, then you've got to be prepared to commit to it. So if we were to return to the tech nation's idea that Amazon is so large and it's its influence over our lives is so great that we can we can think of it as a superpower and not just as a, a, a company. Do these principles amount to something close to a constitution? If do, When we looked at Apple, we sort of asked, what is this company for? What does it care about in the world? Is this the closest thing that we could find with Amazon? Yeah, absolutely. It is effectively Amazon's constitution as applied to its employees and its executives. If you're talking Amazon's constitution as applied to its consumers, then the two pillars on which Amazon are built on are uh, low prices and uh, fast delivery, and maybe a third being a, a great variety of choice. So in terms of the relationship that Amazon has with its customers, you might say they are the key constitutional principles. But for its managers, the leadership principles are Amazon's first to 14th amendments. In your reporting of this, you used the phrase the United States of Amazon and made a comparison to the sort of federal structure of the US. Can you explain that comparison a bit more? I think it reflects or, or we were trying to reflect the fact that Amazon is made up of all these different quite powerful subdivisions that run with quite a lot of autonomy. AWS, for instance, which is kind of like Amazon's version of California, it's a huge business. It's run by a guy who operates pretty much independently of, of Bezos. And, and if it's split off from Amazon, like if California split off from the US, it would still be one of the world's biggest businesses. So in the sense that Amazon's economy is represented by a series of interlocking and interrelated but quite differently operating subdivisions that can kind of patch on to a comparison of the United States and a federalistic structure. So we've talked about, I suppose, the ideology behind Amazon. Let's talk about its vast economy, because you've been looking into this in great detail. You've been speaking to sellers who operate within Amazon's marketplace, you've talked to antitrust regulators. Can you describe what kind of economy Amazon is running? Amazon's, Amazon's economy is not based around a particular product. So with Apple, 
its its business is pretty much based around the iPhone. Uh, and with Google, its business is pretty much based around search. But with Amazon, it's not like that. Uh, Amazon has a series of subdivisions that are uh, all extraordinarily powerful, or most of them are anyway, and, and they all work in concert with each other to provide synergies to each other. So you have the key retail arm, so you go on Amazon.com, you buy something and, and you're sold it by Amazon, and that makes them a lot of money, obviously. But Amazon also runs a, a digital marketplace, which allows its competitors effectively to come onto Amazon.com and sell their products through Amazon.com for a fee. And, and for a greater fee, it can even take care of delivering those products. So that's the retail side. But Amazon is also a huge provider of cloud computing services. So when the retail side started to get pretty big, they decided, look, we're going to need some proper computing power to, to handle this. So they developed a subdivision to, to provide that computing power. And then they thought, well, what, what happens if we you know, can sell this power to, to other companies? And suddenly... Seven years later, they, they were in a market-leading position where Amazon Web Services now uh, controls a, a very large proportion of the world's largest websites. But AWS, I mean, that's account accounting for two-thirds of the profit overall. It but clearly, the cloud computing effort did incredibly well. That drove much better than expected profitability in the quarter. But its profit almost all comes from Amazon Web Services, which is booming. It grew 50%. There are lots of examples where it's both very wide-ranging in terms of the businesses and the sectors that it has gone into, but very interestingly, I think, and, and certainly interesting to antitrust authorities, is the fact that at the same time as going into all these sectors, it is also buying up big chunks of the internet infrastructure that the, the modern 21st century economy runs on. So it's kind of like, you know, you, you, you not only own all the trucks, that are going down a highway, but you have built and operate the highway itself. You learn a lot about a country's government in times of crisis. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And we're seeing that in America right now. And Amazon is no different. It's had its moments of peril before. The dot-com crash posed something of an existential threat, killing off many of its competitors and wiping more than 90% from its stock price. But it survived. It rebuilt. And now, 20 years on, it's been hit with a new crisis, one that threatened to undermine the key pillars that Amazon is built on. The first effect that COVID had on Amazon was to accelerate a trend that had been in place for many years, which was this shift from bricks and mortar retail onto e-commerce. But <laughs> instead of the shift happening over three years, it happened over, over two weeks. And to be honest, Amazon systems really struggled. You know, this was a store whose reputation had been built on A, low prices and B, fast delivery. Suddenly, you know, in February and March, items like uh, toilet paper and bottled water were out of stock. Amazon were having loads of problems with its suppliers. Uh, The deliveries uh, were not taking two days anymore or one day. They were taking three weeks or four weeks. And this was a real threat to, to Amazon because, you know, someone could go on to Walmart or someone could go on to Target. So Bezos poured £4 billion, uh, which he's still spending, into combating COVID-19. Uh, he, he hired 175,000 people and, and they basically worked flat out to right this ship, which was lifting badly. You had price gouging was out of control. You know, the whole situation was a lot more shaky than some people have, have understood it to be. That situation, that economic situation, is now getting back to something approaching normality. But the virus has also exposed another vulnerability inside Amazon, and that is the inequality that runs through its structure and how it treats some of its workers. I'm a grey-bearded Canadian software geek. Let me bring back Tim. I have been doing computers and software and internet since well before there was an internet. I've worked at Google and a variety of other computer companies, and uh, I more or less live on the internet. Tim worked at Amazon for more than five years, since 2014. His story is only a small part of Amazon's story, but it's a significant one. Amazon showed up saying, look, we're going to build a big engineering shop here in Vancouver, and I am I am a major booster of my hometown. I think it could use such a thing, a large uh, anchor tenant t- style technology shop. And so I was happy to join and help build that. And, and it, it went well, you know, I would, there were under 300 people when I joined and there are now over 2000. That's not mm-hmm. bad over the course of five years. And did you like it there? Did you enjoy working there? It's the best job I ever had. It, it, it was great fun. Um, and uh, the people, the, the people were excellent and um, the customers were excellent and, uh, it was just uh, a well-run place and with nice people and interesting work. In March, as coronavirus began to impact Amazon's warehouses all around the world, things change. A top executive at Amazon quits, saying the company culture is just too toxic. Good your time there was mostly characterized by really loving your job, loving your team, loving the people that you worked with, feeling good about 
what you were working on. When did the unease start? You know, I, I really don't have much to say about the process of my exit that wasn't in the blog. Um, I could read it to you. <laughs> you know, I was there. I was happy. They fired the whistleblowers. I snapped. Um, and shortly thereafter left. And you know, In you our conversation that, for this story. podcast, Tim really didn't want to speak about the circumstances in which he left Amazon. But he did speak to one of our reporters earlier this week. Alexi, what did he tell us? So Tim spoke to James Ball, a British journalist who was working with me writing the first story in our Amazon investigation on Tortoise. And speaking to James... Tim went further than he's gone with any other journalist, I think, in expanding uh, on exactly why he left Amazon and the problems that he saw in the company. And he said, the only way that Amazon can have such a huge range of products, prices and fast delivery uh, is by having a disempowered workforce. And he told us that kind of goodness is not free. At some point, the cost has to be counted. When he left Amazon... Tim made some pretty strong comments on his personal blog, where he said that Amazon had a vein of toxicity running through it and said he had refused to drink that poison. So the reason why Tim was so angry with Amazon, which was a company he otherwise admired, was because it had fired uh, some workers who had raised concerns about safety at the company's warehouses during March and April when the COVID-19 pandemic uh, was at its height. Absolutely not. This company failed us, um, their regionals failed us, the executives failed us, the CEO failed us. There's no reason why JFK should remain open when there's a number of undisclosed uh, coronavirus-tested uh, positive cases in that building right now, and they still have this building open when they're shutting down buildings with one case. I don't want to work for a company. I don't care about people. And Tim viewed these employees as whistleblowers and thought it was completely inappropriate for Amazon to sack them. Amazon, it should be said, uh, unsurprisingly, strongly maintained that the workers were fired for unrelated breaches. But for Bray, this doesn't stop at Amazon. He was very keen to make the point that it is the system in which Amazon operates, rather than just the company itself, that is to blame. Amazon is a symptom of the problem. The problem is an overly high concentration of wealth and power in a certain number of super important business sectors, technology just being one of them. Um, and, and I think that that is uh, dysfunctional. It's bad for society. It makes free markets work less well. It uh, makes companies less able to treat their customers and employees as humans simply because they're too big. And at scale, you can no longer do that. So, so I think that, um, you know, COVID has thrown a very harsh light on this, mm -hmm. uh, on the imbalance in power between, you know, the, the one percenters or the, actually the 0.1 percenters and, and, and the rest of the people who are out on the front lines working. I mean, it's easy to be abstractly irritated about imbalances in power and wealth. But when COVID, when COVID comes along, and, you know, the 1% are staying home and working from home and the warehouse workers are out there taking their chances. You're in a position where, in effect, the, you know, you can get the death penalty for being poor and powerless. So, Tim, what do we need to do about this? Amazon talks about being customer obsessed, and, and that's not arm waving. That's really true. And, you know, the Amazon retail business is an example of that. You know, who could possibly 
be against having a huge selection, good prices, and fast delivery. I mean, that is obviously something that's beneficial to, to a lot of people. Um, and that customer obsession has been practiced over a period of greater than 20 years now and, make, you know, and, and finding the bottlenecks in the processes and the efficiencies and the wastages and removing them systematically and with you know, a remarkable effects. It's hard to believe what Amazon accomplishes. But you know, mm -hmm. as a society, we need to think about you know, what, what price are we willing to pay for that astonishing convenience? Because it, it's not free. It just isn't free. And too much of that price, you know, in Amazon and in, you know, the, the econo economy as a whole is being paid by disempowered working people. And mm. if we're okay with that, we're okay with that. But I think a lot of us aren't anymore. And, you know, the solution is not to speak to Amazon or any other company in the tone I use with my children and say, now play nice. You know, the solution, since we are a society with a rule of law, not of men, is to change the regulatory framework, change the labor laws, change the carbon emissions laws. And if there are things that we see make us uncomfortable, we should use our existing political frameworks to address that. But what do we do about it? What, what, how do we regulate a company like Amazon? I really think the antitrust and uh, overly high concentration of, 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 vendors and market shares is, is, is really a big deal. And, and in terms of things that one could do in the short term to, you know, make our society work a little better, uh, you know, that's where I'd start. You know, uh, okay, let's talk about Amazon then. You know, why is the large retail store, the cloud computing company, the voice recognition company, and the really nice video channel company all in, in one company? Uh, why is that? And why is it okay that they can shuffle the profit back and forth in order to enter new markets and, and dominate them by not caring about having profit? Now, that's not just Amazon. Once again, you see, you know, yeah. that kind of practice anytime somebody, you know, gets uh, uh, commanding market share in, in, in any given market. But, you know, if I were put in charge of the, you know, economic policies of a major developed world company, country, uh, I, I would, you know, really move aggressively to try and disaggregate. I think, you know, the market would be, work better, the customers would be better served, and the employees would be better served if, you know, instead of uh, Amazon, Google, Facebook, and Microsoft, we had 25 companies doing the things that those companies do. I think the things mm -hmm. would be done better, the employees would be treated better, and the customers would have a better experience. A lot of what we've talked about in this podcast is enough to make anyone feel queasy about Amazon as a superpower in the world. Its dominance of the market, its dominance of internet infrastructure, its treatment of workers. And yet we know that so many of us are in a really close relationship with Amazon, particularly in lockdown. So Alexi, what is the most surprising thing that you learned in your weeks of investigation? Well, I was speaking to a pretty senior Amazon executive who, who left a couple of years ago, and, and he became the fourth person that I'd either spoken to or uh, read an interview with uh, who'd compared Amazon to the Marine Corps. Every day, no matter where we serve, we take a stand for our nation, for each other, for us all. The few, the proud, the Marines. And I kind of understood 
the analogy that he was he was driving at. at. This is a fast moving, uh, ruthless organization uh, that's able to respond very quickly to to threats and to opportunities. But you know, this is Amazon's paradox, and this is kind of Jeff Bezos's genius. He's created an organization that is one of the biggest businesses in the world, both in terms of revenue and in terms of employees and in terms of the sectors that it operates in. And yet it still manages to operate like an elite unit. And, and that, that contrast, I think, was the most surprising thing that I learned anyway. If we think of the pandemic as a defining moment and we're thinking of Amazon as a tech nation, as a superpower, what kind of nation do you think Amazon emerges as after this? I, I think I think Amazon is almost like the United States in its heyday, in in the sense that here is a company that is completely focused on the consumer. It puts the consumer first. It is set up as an ode to consumerism, and that growth uh, that has been engendered by this focus has been rampant so far. And now I think that potentially regulators. Uh, might be catching up and, and COVID-19 and the pandemic might accelerate the pressure on regulators to find some way of analysing Amazon and its effect on the marketplace that isn't simply limited to its effect on the consumer. So I think what we're going to see is this huge entity being forced to widen its focus from simply the consumer out into society. And, and, and what that does for the business is, is going to be really interesting. How many packages do you think you've had delivered from Amazon during lockdown, Alexi? Okay, so, so I wasn't going to talk about this. I was not going to talk about this, but I'm actually... I, so I, I asked Amazon a few weeks ago for all my data because you can like request it and it will take a couple of weeks for them to put it all together and then they'll send you a really scary looking file with everything every single interaction that you've ever had with Amazon in it. So I've got all my Alexa recordings, including transcriptions of my four-year-old son asking over and over again for the Lego Batman theme tune. Uh, and I've also, got, <laughs> I've also got literally every single purchase that I've had on Amazon since 2007. And the total amount of money that I spent on that site is unbelievable. I can't, I'm too, I'm literally too ashamed to admit it. <laughs> But, and anyone can do this. Anyone and can request anyone this. Anyone can anyone can request this data. But you know, buyer beware. Alexi, thank you. Thank you. So let's return to Tim. What does the future hold? <laughs> well, it was all very intense, and I didn't have time to do any planning at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I, I can honestly say I don't know. Um, you know, I've had, I've had lots of outreach from people. Um, I, you know, I, I'm I'm over sixty, so I'm not. Def, I, I'm not you know, urgently looking for another job. I may mm -hmm. enter semi-retirement. I've uh, and already accepted a couple of, you know, uh, advisory uh, gigs, you know, ha having opinions about uh, cloud computing and, and so on and strategy. I don't know. I, I, I think at this point, the best thing I could do would be to turn my hand to the parts of the internet that still work and uh, somewhat uh, fulfill the original vision. I'm t talking about things like Wikipedia and the Internet Archive and, and, and mm -hmm. things like that. I, I, I think I've had about enough of making West Coast American companies uh, even more profitable than they already are. And, and I think it's time for me to give back. Thanks for listening today. 
And if you've enjoyed this podcast, I think there's a really good chance that you'll enjoy all the other journalism that we do at Tortoise. There are articles that you can read through our app or online. And because we're an open newsroom, that means that there are a whole load of editorial meetings that you can join in on from wherever you are in the world. You can shape our journalism and the stories that we tell. So all you need to do is get our app and you can get access to everything. Just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash pod trial for a 30 day free trial. And just as importantly, of course, if you like this podcast, please share it or give us a review. Thanks. And we'll see you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.